cryptocurrencies are cryptic no more. But are they here to stay, or are they the latest bubble? Hi, everybody. I'm Bob Bowman, Managing Editor of Supply Chain Brain, and this is the Supply Chain Brain Podcast. Bitcoin was the first, but there have been many more like it since. We're talking today about cryptocurrencies, or digital currencies if you prefer a less spooky term. While this new method of exchange has yet to catch on with the general public, it's the hottest topic among risk-loving investors and those who seek a means of buying, selling, and trading. It's not dictated by currencies that are controlled by nations or central banks. The question is, will the whole notion of cryptocurrencies evolve into a parallel economy that's embraced by the mainstream, or is it just another bubble due to burst? At least one big financial expert has called Bitcoin a fraud. That's not the opinion, though, of my guest today, Felix Forsgren, founder of Volatility Media and CoinWorld. He'll give us a basic introduction to cryptocurrencies, talk about how and where they're being used today, and offer insights into their future popularity and impact on traditional banking. We'll learn whether this financial wild west is due to be tamed anytime soon. So here is my conversation with Felix Forsgren. Felix Forsgren, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'd like you to paint for me a picture of what the cryptocurrency landscape looks like right now. Just how many different digital coins are out there and how much it's caught on or not caught on. Just give me a sense of where we are in progress toward the creation of a system of exchange based on cryptocurrencies. Basically, you can think about cryptocurrencies now as the internet in 1995. We have this new cool technology called the blockchain that actually is sort of like a protocol, like the Internet TCP IP protocol. And uh, people are now starting to build applications on this protocol. And one of the first applications then is uh, Bitcoin or cryptocurrencies. It allows for actually the transfer of value in between people then. How many of these are there out there now? There, I, I understand there's more than 800 different coins in circulation at the moment. How do you number them? How many do you see? Basically, there's appearing new coins every day. You can look, actually, if you want to know specifically on a website called CoinMarketCap. Uh, you can see the biggest ones, but I think it's above 1,000 coins right now. And uh, the biggest ones are Bitcoin and Ethereum. There are so many more that they say, as you say, they seem to pop up every day and it becomes a very confusing landscape to try to see your way through. Now, the one thing that is coming of this that is definitely proving to be of value in its early stages, as you say, is the blockchain. How does that accompany the creation of and, and the maintenance of cryptocurrencies? The blockchain is um, decentralized and distributed digital ledger. So it's basically you keep track of transactions on the blockchain. Every party in the transaction has a record 
resides in their system. So when something happens, it's recorded among all the parties involved. I like to see cryptocurrencies as one of the first applications on the blockchain. Like we have the email for was one of the first applications on the internet. So basically we can keep track of transactions on this digital distributed ledger and transfer value from one person to another or from a company to another. I want to back up for a moment, Felix, uh, and ask you a question that a lot of people don't understand. And even even I have a, a very uh, indefinite, <laughs> fuzzy understanding myself of just how is a cryptocurrency, quote unquote, mined or created? It's actually a kind of complicated mathematical task you need to solve. So miners are basically a bunch of people who have hash power or computation power. Um, that solve uh, complex mathematical equations. And they keep track of, of all the transactions that are made on the blockchain or in that blockchain that they are mining. So there are miners for Bitcoin, there are miners for Ethereum, and if you take another cryptocurrency, you will have another set of miners who are working on that. It's not 100% correct to say, but you can see of them as the banks that are keeping track of, of transactions. How do you know that you don't spend money twice with your American Express? Then American Express is keeping track of where you spent the money, make sure you don't spend it two times. And that's basically what the miners are doing. They're keeping track of all the transactions. But they're creating the currency as well, are they not? I mean, as you say, by undergoing complex mathematical algorithms or mathematical exercises, they are the ones responsible for bringing into existence the various coins. Yeah, is that right? Exactly. And when they are solving these complex mathematical equations, that takes a lot of computation power and electricity. So it's actually very expensive to do it. So if someone has to pay to do something, you also have to reward them or incentivize them to do something, right? Basically, when they solve one of these equations, they are rewarded with a few coins. And some of those coins are programmed from before that they will be given when you solve an equation. And some of the coins actually comes from the transaction fees when people transfer cryptocurrencies to each other. Well, how do you become an authorized miner? Is it just anyone who can solve these equations or anyone can step in and, and create these coins if they're able to do that? I wouldn't like to call it an authorized miner because kind of the, the idea with this whole protocol is that anyone can do it. As long as you have the computation power, you can do it. You don't, how do you say, keep someone out. Like the normal banking industry, you kind of keep the circle small and secure. But here it's open to anyone who has the computation power, actually. So you just need to have a lot of computation power, connect yourself to the blockchain, and then you can start mining. It's certainly different from paper currency, where it's certainly <laughs> not the case that any citizen is allowed to simply print money. That, that, uh, that privilege rests with the government, with the government alone. But this is different. It sounds like multiple people have the ability to create the currencies if they're able to do so, and you say they have the computing power. Yeah, and I, I wouldn't like to say that they create the currency. I mean, if you take, uh, if we can take Bitcoin, for example, so that we're speaking about one cryptocurrency. It's decided from the beginning when Bitcoin was created that there will be a limited supply of 21 million Bitcoins. After that, there are no more Bitcoins are going to be created. So when 
the miners are solving these equations or actually validating the transactions, they will be rewarded bitcoins that was decided from before actually, or in the beginning, it was decided how many bitcoins you will get when you solve an equation or, or a block as it's called. But is that the case with all digital coins or all cryptocurrencies? Do they, are they all created with a finite supply in mind? Uh, most of them are. I don't want to say all of them because I'm not sure, but most of them have a, a finite supply. And the reason for that is mostly because you want the currencies to be worth something in the long run. And if you can print more of them in excess like you can with, say, normal paper money, then your money could be worth less in the future. You have inflation and so on. And most people don't want to have that in cryptocurrencies. So where are cryptocurrencies being used? For, for example, do you see applications in the supply chain and beyond as well? Yeah, definitely. I mean, today, cryptocurrencies is still in a very early stage. You can buy stuff with it on the internet. You can donate to certain websites and so on. You can actually buy everything you see on, on Amazon with Bitcoin through a, a website called purse.io. So you can actually buy stuff with it. In my social circle, we, we settle debts and arrangements in, in Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies. But I would say that's still pretty rare. Like cryptocurrencies today, I would say the majority of people that are using them are using them for speculative reasons. They are buying them and holding them and hoping that they will go up in value in the future. Do you believe that cryptocurrencies, Bitcoin specifically, have come out from under the shadow of, of shady or even illegal activities for which they were used at their inception? I think most new innovations are used by criminals at first, and it's because they kind of, they have to be innovative to not get caught with what they're up to. That you can see in, in many innovations like cars were used for getaway vehicles, telephones were used to <laughs> conspire against our leaders and so on. But so, yeah, definitely they were adopted by criminals first. And I don't think that is something that we should be frightened about. Maybe it shows us that we need to look into it more. Explain to me the role and current state of the exchanges. What do they do and how do they operate? The exchanges are basically like a stock exchange. They're a trusted third part that holds your cryptocurrencies and they allow you to put in normal paper money or fiat currency, as it's called in, in the cryptocurrency world. And by fiat, I mean like US dollars and euros and so on. They let you trade with other people online. But I mean, exactly how does that work? If I want to trade with someone online, I go to an exchange. Do I deposit Bitcoin into the exchange and someone else draws it out? Or I mean, what role does the exchange play between me and, an, and another party? Well, it's basically exactly like a stock exchange. If you want to buy stock in a company, then you deposit money on a stock exchange, like US dollars. And then once you're on there, you can then buy stocks from other people who are selling their stocks with this, your US dollars. And it's the exact same concept with a cryptocurrency exchange. You put in US dollars, someone is selling Bitcoin or some other cryptocurrency or U.S. dollars, and you can buy it from them. Now, it seems that the exchanges, and for that matter, the different cryptocurrencies themselves, all carry different levels of identity verification. Is that the case? I mean, it's confusing as to that, but that differs from exchange to exchange and from 
currency to currency, right? Well, it doesn't really differ from currency to currency, but most uh, online exchanges today, they require some form of identification, like a driver's license, a passport or something, some sort of proof that you are you. Then that's mostly it. Some exchanges require an address or a bank statement or something to like further certify that you, you are who you say you are. More and more these days, we're hearing warnings that we are headed for or are already in a cryptocurrency bubble, which is going to burst. And critics have likened it to the tulip mania of the 17th century, where the value of tulips became insanely high and then, of course, fell apart. A lot of people say the same thing is going to happen with cryptocurrencies. I believe you don't see that analogy as being true. Why not? Let's start uh, talking about the bubble and then I'll... uh or about the bubble theory, and then we can get back to the tulips, because I I think that's a very interesting topic. But first of all, what's the definition of of a bubble? Um, I used to work as a financial advisor, and then we said that when the market decreases with about 30% or more in a very short time span, then that's a bubble. And if that's the case, then we have a bubble in Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies almost every month. And normally it goes back up again, but it's it's a highly volatile and young asset. So I think that's something we're going to have to live with for the coming years, actually. If that should keep you from investing or not, you have to decide for yourself. <laughs> well, and another way of defining a bubble might be a situation where the value of something temporarily becomes inflated well beyond the fundamentals of, of whatever it is of that item. Certainly that was the case with tulips, but you don't think so. I mean, you don't think that this is like the the tulips of the 21st century. No, not really. I mean, the tulips, like the tulip comparison that critics commonly used, I think is flawed for mainly two reasons. The first of all is uh, that tulips, they are a terrible store of value. I mean, they don't live for very long and they're very fragile. And second of all, tulips are also very difficult to trade and transfer. I mean, they require a lot of space. You need to actually send them in physical form to someone who wants to buy them from you. And I mean, cryptocurrencies, they are the exact opposite. As uh, long as one computer is still running the the blockchain code, they cannot be destroyed. And uh, they're very easy and cheap to transfer. So I would say that every weakness of the tulips or gold or any other asset for that reason is a strength of the cryptocurrency. Well, maybe they do have one thing in common, and not just with tulips, but with anything that is bought or sold, and that is the idea that value is derived from consensus. In other words, if enough people agree that something is worth X number of dollars, then it is. And if they suddenly tomorrow decide that it's not, then it's not anymore. Isn't it just as easy for people to suddenly tomorrow say that these cryptocurrencies aren't worth anything, just like they said tulips all of a sudden aren't worth anything? Definitely. It's uh, definitely uh, possible. If people would agree, everyone would agree tomorrow that Bitcoin isn't worth anything, then uh, it wouldn't be worth anything. Just as if we would uh, agree tomorrow that the U.S. dollar isn't worth anything. In fact, Jamie Dimon of J.P. Morgan recently called Bitcoin a fraud. How would you respond to a comment like that? Well, I don't really know what I would respond to him. He is a very smart guy, CEO for a huge financial institution. 
But listening to him and his opinions about Bitcoin is a bit like listening to someone who sells horses and wagons, who is <laughs> talking bad about General Motors. I think he is uh, kind of biased in his opinions. And I would like to hear more about why he thinks it's a fraud. Although at this point, it's quite clear. You can't argue with the fact that cryptocurrencies are subject to huge amounts of volatility, way up one day, way down the next. Is that simply a, a function of their relative immaturity, that they haven't been around long enough? Do you think that volatility will settle down? Or is it always going to be a characteristic of cryptocurrencies? Mostly because it's a pretty young asset and it has many new investors in it. And it's also traded, I mean, 24 hours a day, every day of the year. I think we're going to see this volatility for a pretty long time, actually. I think we would see, have to see the price go way up before it stabilizes, actually. So really, it's something for sophisticated investors or patient investors to get involved in. And if you're one of those day traders or something, you probably should be staying away, right? Well, I wouldn't say that. I mean, there are many successful traders within the cryptocurrency sphere. But if you're new to trading, I would definitely advise you not to do it. I think the, the risks are higher than uh, potential rewards. What do you think of this new flood of initial coin offerings, which are just, as I say, flooding the market? There are so many different ones out there. It becomes even more confusing and leads even more to the suspicion that a lot of this stuff is going to crash. Do you have an opinion about that? The ICOs and the idea behind them is that you should be able to raise capital for a venture, an idea, or a project without having to go through the normal ways of raising capital that is highly regulated and can be kind of hard and time consuming. So I actually like the ideas about ICOs or what you're trying to achieve with it. But right now, I would say that it's a bit of like the Wild West in the cryptocurrency market. I wouldn't advise anyone to invest in, in ICOs right now. I think it's kind of a crazy environment and it needs to mature a bit. And I don't know, people are speaking about regulations to regulate these ICOs, especially in China. I think that might be one way to go to get some kind of stability there. What's your best guess as to when the whole cryptocurrency universe, the, the concept of cryptocurrencies, will go mainstream? It's a hard, hard question to answer. I think when the general population, when more people actually get to try, get some kind of hands-on experience of what it's like to transfer money from one person to another with cryptocurrencies and they see how easy and smooth it is, then I think we could see people using it a lot more. But I don't know, that could be in two years, that could be in eight years, you never know. What do you think is the potential long-term impact on both private banks and central banks if it, if it catches on and becomes a mainstream thing? Well, I think we will always have central banks. I think countries will always need their own currency or some kind of legal tender that you can use in that country. But for private banks, and especially like financial institutions that are helping people with investments and so on, I think we could see that they're actually going to be challenged a bit. In the short term, though, there's certainly got to be some kind of a shakeout among these over 800 uh, type different kinds of digital coins out there. Don't you think that there are going to be winners and losers in that sphere? Yeah, definitely. I think most of the coins we see today will probably not be around in a few years. But hopefully they bring some kind of cool idea into the world and maybe someone else can work on with that and put it together in some new way. I mean, just as we see tech companies rise and fall, I think it will be the same in the cryptocurrency markets.
Well, I guess we will have to see. And in the meantime, it's the Wild West, but it sure is an exciting and interesting topic. And Felix Forsgren, I really appreciate your spending time explaining it to us. Uh, So thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for having me. That was my conversation with Felix Forsgren of Volatility Media, giving us an introduction to the world of cryptocurrencies. We're online at www.supplychainbrain.com, where we post a new episode of this podcast for streaming or downloading every Friday. You can also read my Think Tank blog, watch thousands of videos, and access all of our other content, including the digital edition of our magazine. Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn, and follow us on Twitter, at SCBrain. You can also download or subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Got any comments or suggestions on this or any episode? Email me at rbowman at supplychainbrain.com. See you next time.